From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Stretching back to the looms of the original Toyota company, lean practices always coexisted with technology that enables the human operators to do their job better, all in the service of delivering more value with less waste to the customer. But to do today's digitized, IOTized, information-saturated environments provide so much assistance that the machines actually get in the way? In his new book, Augmented Lean, co-author Natan Linder explores how Tulip, the company he co-founded to provide a human-centric framework for managing frontline operations, seeks to delegate technology and improvement to the operators doing the key lean work. Welcome to WLAI, the podcast of the Lean Enterprise Institute. I'm your host, Tom Ehrenfeld, and today we have Natan Linder, the co-author of a new book titled Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operations. And I've read it. There's quite a lot here. And um, I'm actually going to give you first crack to please just, in a nutshell, tell us what you mean by augmented lean. And then exactly how does this provide a human-centric framework for managing frontline operations? So, so uh, I'll I'll try and summarize what uh, pe- people characterize the book as pretty dense, and uh, I think it's uh, first of all uh, it's a, it's a tough question. So, but l- let me start by uh, it's great to be here, and and I'm I'm thrilled to like talk to um to you today about uh, about lean and 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 specifically you know lean enterprise. I think the history of the work y'all been doing. Um, is well known, and so it's 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 very meaningful to me to to have this uh, opportunity to chat today. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, the the um, the core premise, you know, I'll start. Uh, I'll try and be brief about this. Actually, like Lean has been around uh, for about you know, depending how you count, thirty forty years, and has been practiced widely. Whether formally or not formally, I was actually reading one of your pieces, and I think at some point you talk about is Apple a lean company, you know? And so my point is like whether we like it or not, the principles of lean work, and they're here, um, and they're not wrong. Uh, they're actually great, and they they make us build better organizations and companies and supply chains. And I'm talking about all the good known principles that we all are familiar with, like from the Gemba walks to Kaizen to uh, eliminating waste and moving that value to the customer, all that good stuff. The, the the premise of the book in a nutshell, and we can jump into it, how it changes operations in, in a little bit, is it's not that lean is out of date or we need to revive those core principles. It, it was just defined when we had a very, very different um, technology environment. And in in you know we started this kind of talk uh, before we went live. We, we were talking about the the value. We were talking a little bit of the values, system dynamics, and things like that. And 
the, the first principle, you know, is like you can't improve what you, you can't measure. Well, guess what? There was no internet and big data systems and all that kind of good stuff that we take for granted in the sense of what we call today knowledge work 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And and so and so it's not and and to be clear, I'm not saying that lean practitioners were like completely divorced and ignored digital revolution. Absolutely not. Uh, but the focus because of how uh, massive internet systems took over our, our life, both on the back end, so think about our banking system, but right. also on the consumer side. So like uh, uh, having a mobile phone today uh, is a necessity. You cannot survive in the Western world and sometimes even in the non-Western world or the developing world, as we say, so, uh, without a smartphone and you take it for granted. So high availability of networks and compute in your pocket make you live your life. And that centers fundamentally on humans and what humans can do with that kind of tech. And, um, you know, when we wrote this book, I, I, I think like the, the it, it tries to capture a moment in time. And this is why we call it augmented lean. Mm -hmm. And I think augmented has like two main traits to it. You know, one is saying, hey, lean is great, but we have to augment our thinking on it a little bit because of this uh, 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 evolution of technology over the years that contributed. So that's the first factor. And the second thing, it's augmented in the sense of giving giving humans uh, superpowers to do, to do things on the shop floors with technology. And like, it's really tough to talk about this. And I kind of force myself to talk about this stuff without a single buzzword, you know, because then very quickly it becomes like some technology mumbo jumbo that is like not really... Uh, great. But what I mean by that is like, if we think that you give people like, you know, spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations and all sorts of like databases, like that are kind of disparate and siloed from 20 years ago. And like, you expect them to do the best work on shop floors and operational environments. So this could be labs or mm -hmm. warehouses or places like people do frontline work. It, it's, it's almost obvious that it doesn't cut it now. When we build Tulip, you know, our company that is focused on a platform for frontline operations, which we can discuss, it, we just met a lot of organizations and individuals, practitioners, researchers, executives, venture capitalists, you name it, that they're all kind of seeing the same phenomena uh, from a different perspective. Obviously, some want to invest and some want to change the organization and some want to build the best production line and some want to research the next generation of human operation studies and whatnot. And they're all experiencing the same moment that this technology is now uh, has, has a point of no return. So in other words, like back to the smartphone, no one is going to put the smartphone away and stop thinking about this and the yep. behaviors that come along with it. And uh, no one can ignore techno technology and what it's doing on the, on those operational environments, because if you do that, like your organization is not going to remain competitive for, for a long period of time. Um, and so it's an Imperative. So that that's the premise of the book, and it's a, it's a collection of stories that we try to show and say, like, hey, this is happening, and this is how different um, moments like that uh, look like and emerge. As and 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 that that that's what that's the main that's the main thread of the book. So historically, there's all types of definitions of what lean is, and I would I would stretch that back to let's say the emergence of modern lean with the Toyota production system that sure. was formed in the 50s. And 
you know, one that I like, I think Taichi Ono said it's just the reduction of time between getting an order and delivering an order. Right. And that's a very ono that's a very ono reductionism. Yeah. And that's where this well understood notion of eliminating waste comes from, because waste is, you know, uh, it, out of necessity they had to eliminate west waste from where they were um but but that would slow things down and cost more but it's interesting i think companies that have taken lean very seriously have an ambivalence about the incorporating technology into it right because one of the main like precepts of lean is that you reduce the time to deliver something to customers and you base everything on customer value by providing the people who are doing the work, the means to improve the work that right. includes eliminating waste and boosting quality and any most efforts to kind of speed things up or make work easier end up doing the opposite. So MRP systems that try to yep. schedule materials or so many efforts to accelerate work end up having a you know uh unintended consequence that ends up um mucking things up and yeah. that's that just so the question is like you know you kind of go into this somewhat in the book by talking about augmented lean as compared to autom automated lean. Yeah. I, I The question is like, how does this, so how does this type of work handle this tension between using IT or any yeah. other form of tech to make things better? Um, and then the second part is to, and to make them better for the people doing the work, but please yeah. start with the first one. Yeah. So there, so there is a tension between, um, our manufacturing technology and by and large, you know, pe people, you know, there's many manufacturing technologies that you use to build things. It could be CNC machines or injection molding or 3D printers, but it can also be the test jigs that you have to use to collect information, make sure your product is working well. And, you know, automation, uh, I think it's just a collective term, um, both to, you know, things like conveyor belts and robots and PLCs and things that work in the physical domain uh, to move material, to, you know, make sure uh, things uh, that are either repetitive or dangerous, like become uh, um, simpler and require less uh, human. And as a result, like potentially less error prone, but it doesn't mean they come free and doesn't require tending and things like that. So, you know, this is, this is for, you know, people are th often talk about like a robots taking over. I, I personally think that, Generally, you know, we're still missing 2.53 million people in operations of all sorts. So probably they're coming, but the humans are not kind of going away either. They're just like doing other jobs. Uh, we need we need them. And so the tension on, so I, I don't think, you know, automation is automation and manufacturing technology is manufacturing technology and will be there. The question is, what do you do um, with the people who are stuck between our IT backends, namely, you know, the big, you know, ERP, MRP style systems that you kind of touched on that run the organization that need to deal with like POs and billing and HR and all the things that we know that without IT, our, co our modern company structure just halt. 
and uh, you know they're kind of stuck on the frontline operations with uh, those spreadsheets or sometimes even just paper and pen and obviously that doesn't cut it mostly if you want them to behave like knowledge workers so to me to empower those people and like that's where the tension lies is like how do you give those folks on frontline operation the means to become knowledge workers on their own and a big part of the answer is lies in software now historically you know software is a compl- very complex human invention right. that uh, uh, we never had in the history of uh, humanity. And I don't have the statistics on, I need to find it. Maybe I'll send you after the show. It's like, we're lacking software developers. There's not enough. And and also software developers are kind of lazy, you know? So if we can use software to make software, we will do that. Why? Because there's just not enough software development uh, uh, capacity. And to manipulate large amounts of data to make it do all sorts of things, like from using sophisticated machine learning algorithms to help assist a human make a decision, or even simpler things like find the right information on a lot number to figure out what to do. Uh, you need you need different kinds of software other than like the normal sort of like retrieve uh, type database systems that, you know, um, the, in my view, in my biased view, and then why I started Tulip, uh, d- doesn't cut it anymore Be- because and, and that there lies the anomaly of using these kind of complex system in pure lean environments. You go into environments where you say, well, I need to introduce change because there's value to be passed on to the customer. But if uh, passing the change involves like um, uh, RFPs and like getting system integrators and like three months later, that's where you can implement the change. That That's not fast enough. Now, if you map it to what's happening in IT and I'm I'm making a very sort of generalized claim here. But I, I think that if you would talk to IT people that have a perspective of say the past 15 years of what happened in you know cloud-based software as a service platforms, the likes of Salesforce uh, for marketing and sales, the likes of Workday for human resource management, like the way the practitioners, the people who set up those systems, it's not to say that there's not effort on IT side to do that, but at the end of the day, the business users get those systems and they're able themselves um, to come up with new workflows and change the way it works and create all these things. And you call this, oh, these are like business users who are trained and they're knowledge workers so they can do it. And they have the guardrails and IT is watching them. And we have great digital, uh, we have digitally transformed that side of the organization. Super. Okay. Well, it- and I'm, where is that for operations? <laughs> and the answer, if the answer is like you take the smartest set of people in the room and you're trying to come up with a perfect model of what the world and the production lines and the factories and the demand is going to be, and you set, you come up on the other end with like some software systems or a stack and you try and bolt it down to the ground and then what happened? Change happens. And if you don't have that agility, and this is where these notions of applying new names. And here again, I'm sorry for the buzzword alert, no code, low code systems. I was going to ask you about Uh, that. You know, in citizen development and democratizing the software, that's where it lies. And I I think Augmented Lean tries to capture this phenomena and others where you introduce those things that by now we kind of take for granted in IT land and bring them to the OT land. And as a result, uh, you're seeing this agility. And that's that's what we have seen with people who really empowered the people on the shop floor. And I can tell you that, you know, in 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 a story, and this is, you know, I think it's in the book. And, you know, one day uh, we look at, uh, we see like a post from um, one of uh, Stanley Black and Decker mm-hmm. uh, process engineer named Sophia Baran. And she's 
she is she's building um, workflows for machinists in, in in a factory in Massachusetts, and you know her her challenge is to do manual data management and. She she's not a software dev developer per se, but she's a very competent engineer. She understands the data flows. She understands the machine performance. She understands the operator. You know, the the fact that she could use a tool to translate her her intimate knowledge of the work, her discussions with the operators and with management, and to turn it into software in a matter of days and test it out and perfect it and then launch it and then collect data and then do it again and create like a you know, a continuous improvement loop in the classical lean sense that is based on a tool that she built uh, made a difference in why is, why, you know, she basically built a digitized job scheduler and app to track missing materials and how to create a few Kanban tools to like to feed, you know, the material flow and so on. If you had to think about it through the lens of classic, you know, software development or manufacturing execution systems, as we call them, it, it, it was impossible for her to do and but but when you look at when you look at the at the, at the motion that she did it's like getting the input from the people who do the work that have the context of the work that that's herself but think about the operator so what does that do suddenly they make they 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 did make a piece of software but they're not really thinking about it as like i'm developing software they're thinking about it as as much as someone maybe like when Lean got introduced and saw the first spreadsheet, told themselves like, hey, guess what? I can move from the uh, whatever clipboard and a Xerox paper to uh, a spreadsheet. And that's great because like I can manipulate the numbers. It's 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 kind of like that, but only in a world where, you know, your apps on the phone are packages of what? Logic data information. And you're like, oh, there's just an app that does things. And you stop thinking about things like documents. And, and so and that what, that, what that is what's happening. And I think that's super exciting. The way you're describing the usage of software in this context strikes a very deep lean chord, which is um, inculcating a situational approach to improvement yep. by enabling the people who are doing the work to think through, reflect on, and find root cause approaches to problems right. and to build from the ground up. I think you mentioned Gamba Walk, which is yep famous lean trope of going where the work is and observing it um, instead of imposing um, you know, solutions from afar. And yeah, you know, this is this point, sorry to interrupt, like this is please. where Womack, you know, I, I don't remember the quote exactly, but he, he talks a lot about the difference between, uh, you know, having knowledge of a problem and the ability and dedication desire to solve it versus the, you know, you need some, you need to be separated a little bit, you know, from the problem. Like if you're too close, you're maybe biased and you don't have context. And I think he's super right. And like, this is this play between mm -hmm. like letting the people who are close to the work come up with like, well, how do we model the the data and how do we collect it and how we can decipher it? But if they do that, so first of all, they create objectivity for themselves, mm -hmm. but for other stakeholders, they create context. And so in a way, I think this approach of creating those um, tools and letting the, so, so to speak, the power uh, of the people doing the work to create those kind of tools that I'm talking about with the no code, low code in the form of apps, 
is is very very lean and it doesn't forego uh you know this notion of um governance that in and 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 in a way like in the book if you know we like everyone trying trying to write a book we try to create a framework uh and our framework is um it's called leader HG which you know the leader kind of translate to principles we we don't have time to go over them right now but it's about learning emergence augmentation decentralization and power respect that's a leader the but HG called hoops was was the yeah. for the principles right but H but I want to focus on uh, want to focus on the the HG is about hacking and governing so that that's where that's the difference between like I'm creating knowledge I'm hacking to create knowledge and then you're governing to standardize it and like you you make it into a reusable artifact which is also very lean and 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 that's where you know things like what happens when you bring app libraries to the world of operations you know which to me is obvious you know it's like how many apps have you downloaded the past uh, i don't know six months that kind of you're like not even thinking about it it just raises a, an interesting question that like for one, your the book is is maybe arguably dense in the sense that it is fearless in in discussing technology and use yep. of technology. Um, and the question is, you guys are clearly um, influenced by this desire to have a more human centric workforce, right? Is this something that you? that you recommend tackling as a social, you know, social issue, a governance issue or technical issue? I think it's a little bit of both. Like if I look at this from, I, I have, I have a few angles to kind of look at this. If I look at this like purely from the lens of uh, how do we have a better industrial force and, and as you know, a better manufacturing base that as a result it produces a better, uh, economy and I think the the research shows you know uh, I, I think the last statistics I saw from uh, National Association of Manufacturers you know you put a dollar into manufacturing you get 1.87 dollars back in the economy uh, so it's actually important to do that and I think we have enough uh, empirical and hard evidence like from years of internet like how it created tons of economical value to have all this like digital stuff in in our services in our finance insurance what have you and i don't think that's should be any difference in operations so i think that there's like a social imperative there i also think that when you think about the uh folks on the frontline operations who on one hand have those smartphones and computers at home and their kids are educated in the same system that our kids are educated in and they're exposed to technology, but they go to work and they're supposed to like let go of that and like go back to pen and paper and spreadsheet and like that just doesn't compute. And so there's a there's a lot about social mobility where you give those people the access to this stuff and you say not only your voice counts because they're we're going to translate it into the next version of the application we're building together, mm -hmm. but also you expose them to data and teach them how to make decisions based on data and that that I think introduces social mobility. So that's society aspect number one the second one is that you know when uh when you're trying to in our problem it's a problem in the united states and certainly in europe and japan and all the westernized economies if 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 you want to uh have a you know we 
COVID gave us like something very obvious. Like we, we saw the, uh, the, the gaps and the limitations of our very, very efficient supply chains. So they were very efficient, but not so resilient. So that's how we lost the chips and, you know, uh, lead times went through the roof and all that, what that did to our, you know, all the way to inflation. But let's not go into a macro rant here. But my, my point is that if you want to build uh, close to your customer and you want a more re resilient supply chains, yep. what, what you need to do is like, you need to first attract a lot more people who are as smart as the people going to work for the IT sector, like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world and make them work on operation problems like, you know, building the next best production line that can deal with built to order, customized to order and what have you. And what are the skills required to do that? You need to collect a lot of data and you need to like understand maybe some machine learning algorithms and you need to like build a frontline application, you need all those things. And, and if we, if we don't make manufacturing cool again, then they're not going to come, you know? So, so, so that's another aspect. And, you know, on, on the business side, I kind of touched on it. I don't think, and to be clear, this is not a, a tulip issue. I, I don't think tulip is the, I, I, or I'll say it differently. I see tulip as like one type of platform of many other folks that who are doing great work that together form the new stack of, of operation technology and organizations who don't go that way, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, we're looking into this thing called a database. We're kind of considering if it's important for a business and this ERP thing. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> if you had this conversation of people like trying, you know, you're trying to say, oh, you really need a CRM and an ERP, you know, the, 20 years ago, maybe, but today it's like, why are we even talking about it? It's, it's obvious. So to me, it's the same, but maybe I'm a little bit early in that realization. Well, one of the um, things that stuck with me is we. Uh, there's a brilliant guy who worked at Toyota and ran LAI for a while named John Shook. Mm -hmm. And he kind of described TPS Lean as a socio-technical system on steroids. That's and, a good one. Yeah. And um, he produced just outstanding work on the structures and practices within Toyota, he worked at Toyota for a time, that in, instantiate the kind of principles of um, uh, uh, people-based improvement. Yeah. And I, I kind of, one of the things I learned from John is this real serious approach to uh, of, of respect for people. Totally. That there's established practices and methods of working within a lean system that practice respect not out of some show of etiquette or being cordial which is fine but which assume assumes the most out of people and constantly creates attention on them to do their best work and to develop a kind of meta awareness of the work so that they own the processes and improve them. You know, they're expected to write their own standard work and use that as a basis for um, understanding the work and improving it. Um, yeah, and taking responsibility for it, yeah. I would add. And I don't think that uh, this idea of like building app or having citizen developers is fundamentally different. It's just the output is not those uh, 
sort of, uh, you know, sometimes I see standard work instruction and like I, the, the people in factories t t tell me, you know, the, this is like wallpaper, you know, so-and-so did it whatever years ago. And since then changed a million times. And, and <laughs> no, and, I, th I think that shows that the misapplication of Ween in any sense right. is, you know, uh, egregiously wrong. And I think the question I'm asking is, um, what are the established kind of practices and tools and methods um, that are put to work in an augmented lean system? Yeah. Where that, again, respect the people that, I'm using your phrase, of human-centric, that right. increase the human-centric nature of, of the work people are doing. What do you see? How does it show up? It it shows up um, with um, how we specifically go into an organization and and help it transform. And the typical the typical thing is starts uh, whether it's us directly, our partners, or combination us and the customer and the partners like walk lines and find problems because ev everybody wants the utopian end state of a fully digitalized uh, shop floor. Everything's connected. You snap your finger and you get amazing analysis, but really it usually there's like a huge problem they're trying to solve, whether it's like get that new production line up and running quick, fix a huge quality issue, uh, get yields 50% uh, higher, uh, deal with like, uh, I don't know, some crisis or a bunch of engineering management or so something. Few and of them sound like lean, classic lean problems per se. They're, they're all classic lean problems. If you like, if you think about one of my other favorite books, The Goal, and like that they condensed into the storyline, like all these problems in one, and like you know where, where the big bosses, what they need to do, and how much they need to get. It's very, it's a very capitalistic uh, sort of um, uh, novel in that sense, but because that introduces the the pressure to change. But yep. uh, a lot of the pressure to change is just like people want to do a kick-ass job and build great companies and products. And yeah, they also think about profits, but not, you know, maybe not as pronounced as in the goal. But uh, but but look, my point is like what we're seeing is that you, you, you know, you show you show people in a train the trainer and you put them through online training of like, how do you go about making like applications? And suddenly the same way they made 5S on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, they do it in in a, in a different form that feels very similar, but in fact, it, it, it the artifact is something that feels like look like an app on your smartphone, and suddenly they're collecting data. You know what happens? Like, they first of all they feel empowered. They're like, oh my god, I created this software, and this is these are people who don't necessarily think about them themselves as software engineers, but they're not less engineers. They understand their process, input, output, and logic of how things actually work. And, and then, you know, they start caring for that piece of software. Because like, when you think about what do software engineers do? We, software is our baby. Like we put it out there and then what do we do? We make it better. We fix the bugs. We have another release and say, oh, did you get the last version of blah, blah, blah. It's so good. The same thing happens. And I think there's a very human thing there. And I can tell you like my own personal experience, because like my, I'm an engineer, I come back from, come from embedded software background. And, but I remember if I go back to my early experiences in software, you know, if I have to pin it down to like what got me hooked, yep. it, it's like software is a, is an amazing thing with people like with short attention span for immediate satisfaction. So you do something and, and you immediately see the result more or less, you know? You know, you I, 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 I hear you. I mean, I think software is dangerous because 
and you discuss this somewhat in the book, it's one of those things where it it just by the time you've got it into place, it's it's a legacy issue that's hard right. to improve upon or right. rip up and start and, with and then complexity creeps and and it's time and money and knowledge and but but the world runs and consumes software on a regular basis. And like that's like to me, you know, when you're asking like how do we see this? It's kind of like teaching people a language. And sometimes people describe Tulip like, oh, you know, it's a bunch of technical Legos that, you know, you can put together the right thing for you. And, um, you know, I'll tell you this through like a concrete feature. So we have the ability like to hook up cameras to Tulip. And like, wh why do we do that? Because, you know, cameras, obviously an important sensor to capture stuff like evidence of what happened. And maybe you can help detect a human uh, way of building things or you can do sort of a safety zone detection. This is like a whole bunch of applications. But but if you want to do that, and 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 everybody understand what a camera is, if like if you if you can't simplify it to drag a widget with an air of interest and tell it what to do, which is possible to do today technologically in tools like Tulip and others, then those people on the shop floor, those engineers I'm talking about, that like they're not gonna do it or they're gonna do it just in a place where they need a lot of what we call machine vision, you know, like get a get a very sophisticated system to, you know, not miss a single beat of a single barcode that runs on an automated right. line. And and that that is fine too. That is like where automation lies, you know? Well but, let me just for the reader or yeah. reader, listener, and thank you, listener, for, for hanging out with us. Yeah. Um out of fairness, you've mentioned Tulip a number of times. Right. And I don't think we've really fully introduced it. It's a frontline operations platform that you, right. a company you've co-founded with others. Um, right. And you do cite them frequently in the book as kind of proof of what you're doing and um, validation of your argument. Can you just give us a, a kind of quick just a, a description of Tulip and perhaps sure. also... Tell, tell us about Tulip in action, what 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 we see when we see folks using it. Yeah, so Tulip is um, uh, a platform that gives uh, those engineers and the operators th uh, the means to build those low-code, no-code uh, applications for various operations uh, use cases. It could be your standard working structures or training or quality, provide a ton of production visibility, can facilitate data collection on shop floors. It, it helps people transform the operations bottom up and 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 sort of in a very sort of uh, lean way, get a, a what I would define as a more sustainable digital transformation, uh, adding up to what is a what I like to believe we're helping people build, which is like a modern production system based on this new stack, um, given that we are fundamentally cloud first and have uh, what uh, technically people define as edge stack, so the ability to connect to things. This could be your CNC machines or a barcode uh, gun or an RFID sensor, and sort of stitch all this data together uh, and dish it up to the application such that the people using it on production lines can make those effective, effective decisions on what to do with their production and have continuous improvement. That's what Tulip does. It simplifies and, the creation of software through no code, low code. Yes. Um, and and, so and we, people who are doing the work have more control over the systems and processes. Right. Delivering and, the value. And exactly. And it, 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 it relies on an ecosystem of all these folks who build 
whatever manufacturing technology you can imagine that we um, support a high uh, variety of protocols like to you know talk get the data and send the data and so on and it also has like a library in, a, in the same ecosystem so like you 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 can go on on a website that looks like uh, you know your classic b2b marketplace and like pick some best practice or or a fully working app and start from there and the reason that's important is because you know solving for the heterogeneous nature of operations and and that's the hard thing about in about you know the difference between IT and OT you know as a software engineer again like if i download the compression library right and i want to use it then everything is very clear i mean i might wrap it up and make it well, to you but sure specific to my use but pretty much that box I can trust that compression algorithm and all that kind of stuff. In operations, like, you know, your 5S, we, we can both be doing 5S, but yours is slightly different than mine. And mine is tweaked. And so there's like more customization on the needs of operations that are inherent because of the heterogeneous nature of operations. And 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 this is trying to borrow or bring back, you know, maybe maybe it's payback to the software engineers who stole Agile and Scrum and all those lean things to their world of how software is developed uh, to operations and like give them the best tools. Because you know, in in software development or in general in engineering, like we are used to uh, sharing, and and there there's obviously a very massive movement of open source that enabled that, and the internet enabled that, and that that has proved uh, as the more faster, robust, uh, better way of building things uh, uh, and bringing them to market. Um, not where is that for operations? So I'm, you know, so in a way, Tulip is also trying to usher that. And, it's recontextualizing uh, the use of software. It's trying to no. present it as something that's fungible and developable by the people doing the work, so that right. it's augmented. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Way to uh, improve it as opposed to this um, isolated, massive project that all it, the geniuses poured resources into creating, and which is already a kind of legacy challenge by the time it gets implemented. Right. And I think we, you know, that that's why we're seeing, um, why did IT pick up so quickly? Because IT... Uh, solve problems that are almost uh by definition more regular you know uh pipeline in a crm is a pipeline in a crm you need maybe to customize it a little bit but more or less a pipeline is a pipeline same is true for a ledger but uh a production line and the abstractions for a production lines are just you know uh i think it's a a very open-ended problem if you try to map it to computer science <laughs> Because how do you how do you model it with all the parameters that can go into a production line? You know, you can have some abstractions, but well, one fascinating thing. To, I mean, I don't know if this is related, but the guy who's now in charge at LAI really mastered lean through work at Starbucks um, in yeah. terms of delivering coffee drink. And totally, there turns out, you know, out of the typical menu of say a dozen drinks, when you get to the various permutations you know skinny calf whatever it ends up becoming thousands of different potential products that get handed over to the customer and yeah. they needed a way of producing these that accommodated the many variations while adhering to basic principles that would 
empower the workers to make it right first time quickly <laughs> and yes and above all deliver it to the customer yes and and i think that's uh you know we're seeing exactly the same things and so one one on story line. In, yeah. in automation you're saying yeah Good. well in augmentation and automation so one story i have in, which we put out there with um there's a case study out there so i, I can share that um um, there's a company called Dent Supply Serona, which is one of the world's largest uh, manufacturer of uh, dental solutions. So, like, they can make you implant- repeat the name slowly, just so- D- Dent Supply Serona. Okay, and they they make dental implants and instruments and all sorts of products that uh, basically, you know, when you go to the dentist and they say like, "Hey, Tom, come come back in two weeks, we'll do the implant or something like that." So, what happens is the probably the dentist. Uh, scanned your mouth and sent it over and said, I need to do this process for Tom. And then they get a case back with like the abutment and the tools and the all the little screws and things like that. So the mathematical space of the amount of products that they can make, given all your teeth, all the processes, all the material, all the finishes, the different variations of the cat, it's in the billions. You can s- try and start building software for it today and like you'll never finish, ever. Not not our kind of software, not anybody's kind of software, you know. So the the only thing you can do is like get, give people tools to like share their knowledge of how to you know train on such lines where you know you sit down and imagine like a bench of quality or a packaging bench with like small trays with different kind of screws that your eye cannot distinguish uh, the variations of the screw and the sizes. So what do you do? You have to use things like very smart end on and pick delights. Right. You have to let the human intuition understand, well, if it's this kind of thing that I know about, what is the best next step and so on. And you got to give them the information just in time so they can make that decision based on data and the software is, so to speak, in their head. And guess and- what? Having low-code, no-code type of solutions is a way to codify this this information such that you can do things uh, like, and that's stuff we measure, and this is why I'm very proud of that. Uh, there's like two measurable things there. It was like, First, we drop the the dramatically the amount of time it takes to train people on those lines, something like eighty or ninety percent, if I recall. Why? Because the way you train it is like on the job training, and and there's another person watching you behind your back and seeing that you're doing things right. And the other thing that that if you have that is you're dropping quality issues down and you're get it right the first quality. time. Yeah, improving yeah. quality. So, and those things in this little example, I think they're universal to so many uh, oper- discrete manufacturing operations that are, I would call them semi-automated, back to automation, right? So in this case, there's some machining, some human things, some quality jigs, some some everything, but still humans are very, very much there. So to ship that product, so you go to your dentist and you get the exact case that fits you and there's no issue. And of course, this is like a regulated line and you know, because it's, it's probably met- produced even cheaper. It- I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And and so those are things that I I think that this type of augmented lean um, mindset and technologies make a lot of difference because like what what was the problem they were trying to solve in this case? It's like, man, I need to train people faster on the like super complex thing. How how do we do that? You know, and um, yeah. So you know, I, I think that's, that's a. A nice example there. Uh, that's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, 
I think with that, I'm going to wrap it up because uh, we, we try to keep them uh, a modest length. Um, Perfect. But Natan, this is really interesting. So the book is titled Augmented Lean, a Human-Centric Framework for Managing Frontline Operations. It's Natan Linder and Trond Arne Undheim. Undheim. Yeah, my brave, fierce co-writer. Excellent. Uh, so, okay, great. Thank you for jo- uh, joining us on WLAI. Thank you so much. I, I'd love I, I love being here and I appreciate uh, the discussion and should, it was fun. We should do it again sometime. I want to thank Natan Linder for his insightful comments on the nature of technology in the workplace today and for discussing details from his book, Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operations. I also want to thank our fearless producer, John Cotter, and the other troops at LAI for providing assistance for this episode of WLAI. I'm your host, Tom Ehrenfeld, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast.